How are we doing this morning, people? Are we doing good? Yeah? Awesome. Thank you, Maddie. So um, Pastor Craig isn't here today. He is over in Devonport. The um, church in Devonport there, today is their pastor's last Sunday, and he is moving to the South Island. So Craig is over there uh, just, you know, doing a farewell, praying for the, for the church and for the pastor and stuff. For those of you who don't know, um, Craig is actually the head of the Revive Churches New Zealand. Um, so um, he quite often has to duck out and minister at other churches or do things for other churches that are within our movement. So um, that's why sometimes sometimes he's, he just has to vanish for certain things. So yeah, so that's where he is, just in case you were wondering. So if you um, have been around in the church for a while, um, you may have heard that I, I like Christmas. <laughs> you know, so... Um, and there is a reason for that, um, but that's actually a story for a, for a different day. It's, I'm not going to share that story today, but because I do like Christmas so much, I have a lot of things that, that we do. The rule in the house is that I'm not allowed to play Christmas carols until the 1st of December. So that rule stands when no one else is around. When, when it's just me, I play them whenever I feel like it, right? And then sometimes I'll be playing them in the car, and the kids will find out, and then they go and they knock on me, and they go... Dad, Mom's playing Christmas carols, and it's October. And I'm like, just be quiet. No one needs to know, right? But I really, I really, um, I just love everything about the build-up to Christmas. In fact, my favourite part of Christmas is actually Christmas Eve. And um, as um, Anna was saying, the Christmas Eve service is really awesome, and I really encourage you to come out. It's a beautiful service, um, and it is my favourite service that we do across the whole entire year. And for me, Christmas Eve is really special because it's, that anticipation, and it's not the anticipation about gifts, because I couldn't really care too much about gifts, like, the, the gifts part doesn't bother me, but it's that anticipation that he has come, you know, it's that that gets me, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, Jesus came, and it's a chance for us to honour that and remember that, and so I have these Christmas carols that I love, like, honestly, like, my Christmas playlist currently goes for six and a half hours, and, um, and I just turn it on, hit shuffle, and, and it's a mixture of Christmas carols and also Christmas songs. But, you know, it's the Christmas carols that really get me, get me because they're the, they're the ones that are about worship, right? And sometimes I find myself humming or singing them all the time, right? You know, just sort of anywhere, under my breath, whatever I'm doing, that sort of stuff. And there's this one that, probably for the last month, it's, and it's not even one of my favourite ones, to be perfectly honest. It's like, it's not an exciting one. It's not like, oh, holy night, you know, which just gets me every time. But so, and it's not, you know, so it just kind of plays. And but, oh, for about the last month, so I kind of thought, okay, I feel like this is because God wants me to speak about this. So it's, um, so this message is actually based on the, on the Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So... I've been trying, I've been practicing reciting it because I keep going to sing it, right? So I apologize if I end up by semi singing it. I'm trying to recite it, right? So here we go. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From debts of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, desire of nations, bind and one the hearts of all mankind. 
Bid thou our sour division cease and be thy own self, our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. He has come to thee, O Israel. So I want to tell you a little bit about the history of the lyrics of the song. Believe it or not, the lyrics of the song were actually written between the 8th and the 12th century. That's like a thousand years ago. And the message in those lyrics still today holds as much power as it did when they wrote it. What was really interesting about that particular time in history is they would do this thing where they would speak about a passage of scripture and then what would happen is that the congregation would actually then chant and, or sing lines from the song. And that's actually where O Come, O Come, Israel, o, um, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel has come from. It is literally a chant. And if you listen to it, you can actually hear that kind of chant coming through, through the whole song. This was what they would call the O Antiphons. And so there are actually a series of, of carols, a series of, if you go into some of the more established older Orthodox churches, they still sing them, written from way back then. And they're actually a beautiful message. So for today, the focus on our, of our message, and I felt like Rimmer practically preached my whole entire sermon when he was up here just before, was about Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So how many of you have ever prayed, God be with me? Has, has anyone ever prayed that? You know, you're going on a long trip. Before, I leave, before we leave the house, um, the kids are used to me doing this, we all pray over the house and we pray, God, you know, be with us when we travel. Be with us that, you know, there's no mechanical faults with the cars. Car, you know, pray that, you know, the, the traffic is clear. Pray that there are no idiots on the road. Pray that the kids don't kill each other in the back seat, right? We pray it all the time. We do it, go, you know, God, be with us. I pray about it when I go to the shopping mall, particularly at Christmas time. God, be with me when I go to the mall today. Help me to find a good car park. I'm always praying for car parks. I, have what, I believe you should have a success expectation. So I start praying the moment I leave the house. God, we're going to have this great car park at the mall. I'm going to be able to park and not have to hike for miles. I'm not going to have to circle the car park for 90 minutes while I find this because God has got his blessing. I pray it all the time. Does anyone else do that? Yep, see, honestly, it's so worth it. You've got to do that. You might pray things like, you know, God be with me as I go on this blind date and hope that the person's not a psycho. <laughs> you know, honestly. You know, God be with me as I sit these final exams. And God's up there going, well, I will be with you, but it would have helped if you studied because I'm not just going to magically give you the answers, right? We pray it all the time. God, be with me. God, be with me. So what does that actually mean, though? When it says, God be with us. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew's version of the birth of Christ, where he talks about the Virgin Mary. And it starts in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Now, I'm going to pause here. Because this is actually quite important. This is a massive announcement. Not like the announcement that our government gives us that they're going to make an announcement. This is an actual, for real announcement. This was going to change the world. This was such an important one. People have been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for what Matthew's about to reveal. 
This is the good news of the gospel. That's what this announcement literally is. So here's what Matthew's going to do. He's going to quote from an Old Testament prophet. He's going to quote from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. 740 years earlier, Isaiah had prophesied what Matthew is now announcing has happened. That kind of blows my mind. 740 years ago, Isaiah says this thing, and now it's about to happen. So all those people who've been waiting, 740 years of people have been waiting for this to happen. And it says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, if this was a movie, at this point, the music would have got really, really dramatic, and you would have had this big announcement, God with us, and you'd go, dun, 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 and everything would have like, been lights flashing, and it would have been super exciting. I promise, exactly what would have happened. Because what he had just said was completely earth-shattering news. Like, we, we don't actually understand because we have grown up or we have become aware of the fact that we live in this time. We live with God with us. We've grown up knowing that God is with us. But this moment in history was so completely earth-shattering. And the reason why it is is because those people had grown up under the Old Testament, knowing, learning, living the fact that God is too holy to dwell with them. They couldn't look upon him and live. That was literally how holy God was. They would have known that Moses, who had a great relationship with God, was considered, they revered Moses, and Moses really wanted to see God, and God was like, you can't see me and live. That's not how this works. I am too holy for you. But what happened was, God said, because Moses so wanted to see God, God says to Moses, okay, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to be up on this mountain. There's a, a little crack, like a small kind of, cavish shape, you're going to go in there. I'm going to put my hand over you to cover you. And then I'm going to walk past you. And then you can look briefly through my hand that's blocking you to my back. And we can do that. That's the most you can do. That's the most, the closest you can get to seeing a holy God. So that's what Moses did. People would have known that when God dwelt on the mountain, that even if animals or touched the mountain, they would die because that is how holy God was. When God dwelt inside the, the mercy seat, when his presence was there and they were trying to carry the ark and somebody reached out and touched it, you should not have done that. God is too holy for you to just reach out and touch. You have to understand, this is how holy God was. And all of a sudden, Matthew is saying, God is with you. God is with you. He is with us. That's why the shepherds rejoiced when they found out about Jesus. That's why they were so excited. That's why wise men traveled from their towns to come because God had suddenly made himself available so that his holiness was no longer a barrier to us. Why did they fall down on worship? Because it was this fact and this fact alone that God is not a distant, far-off God, that he is not uninvolved, that he does not um, stand apart from us. He's not just someone who watches over us, but he is now someone who is with us. The creator and sustainer of the entire universe is actually a relational God. He stripped himself of all of his glory and became to us in the form of a baby. 
who was all God and all man, without sin, and he dwelt on the earth. This blew their minds. This was the most amazing thing. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I actually love this whole passage at the start of John. I think it's amazing. It's, it's really long, so I'm just going to skip to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And all of a sudden, this holy God that was so holy that we couldn't touch, who was so holy that we could not have a relationship with, Matthew has said, God is with you. God was with you, and God will be with you. And this is the best news ever. The problem is, just sitting here looking at you, this doesn't excite some of you. Some of you are sitting here and you're not excited at all. You don't. Some of you may be sitting here and maybe you don't even believe in God at all. So you're just kind of like, oh, whatever. I don't believe. I don't need to believe, so that's fine. That's fine. That's where you're at. Hopefully, through time, circumstance, God will reveal himself to you and you'll know that he's real. For some of you, you are Christians. And yet when I say to you that God is with you, you're kind of like, really? Because I don't feel him. There's no tingly feeling. I don't feel any goosebumps. You know, I don't feel God. For some of you, you're in a bit of a difficult spot right now. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Christmas to me is kind of like a magnifier, right? It takes the really good things and magnifies them, but it also takes the really bad things and magnifies those. So I feel like Christmas is a real magnifier in people's lives. It magnifies painful things. It magnifies good things. For some of you, maybe you're facing an empty chair this Christmas. Someone that you loved, someone that you wish was here is not. Is not going to be here at all. Maybe that was through death. Maybe it was through divorce. Maybe it's just through distance. Maybe they, maybe they live overseas and the price of getting them home is just going to wreck everything. Or maybe there's relational tension and you know things aren't right. You know, the relationship between a loved one has, has become strained for whatever reason. Or maybe you've got some news about a bad health issue. But whatever it is and whatever you're going through, you know, and you're sitting here and you question, where is God? Where is he? I don't feel him. I don't see him. And if God is there, why is this happening? And for some of you, if you're really honest, you've done some stuff and you feel ashamed. And you're thinking, why would God be with me? Why would God want to hang out with me? Why would God want to, you know, I've done all this stuff and it's really hard to believe. So my goal today is that before we're through, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that you'll be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is, that God was, and that God will always be with you. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And when God plants that truth in your heart, you're never going to be the same. You will walk out of here never being the same. So let's break it down. There are literally only three thoughts to Emmanuel. The first one is God is with you. You have to know that. You have to understand that. You have to believe that. Not know it here. You have to know it here. That God is with you. Luke 1, 28. And this is, this is Gabriel coming and speaking to, to the Virgin Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
The very first truth that this angel proclaims to young Mary is something that she's going to need to know because what he's about to say to her is something that's going to be very difficult for her to do. And the very first thing he says to her is, the Lord is with you. And some of you are in difficult situations and you're hurting right now, and I want you to know that the Lord is with you. You may not see him, you may not feel it, but he is with you. Because scripture says that he is the God who gives all comfort. So he will comfort you in your trials. Now the Greek word that is translated as, for, as comfort is the word parakletos. Para means alongside, and kleto meaning called to. Our God comes alongside of you and is called to minister to you in your times of trouble. To me, that's the most beautiful picture, that our God comes alongside us, that he comes and comforts us, that when we are in times of trouble, that he is right there beside you. Again, many people simply just don't believe this. But if you did, your whole entire world would change. Everything you do would completely change. When I, uh, when I was, let me think, I got saved at 15, got married at 19, somewhere in the middle of that, I got really sick. And I ended up, you know, long story short, ended up with Crohn's disease. But in the journey, because I was only, I'd only been saved a short time, I wasn't raised in the church, so I didn't have all this extra knowledge, so I came to this, you know, get saved and then get sick a few, like a couple of years later, and I was trying to understand, because the Bible says that God heals, but I wasn't getting healed, right? And I remember people in our church who had cancer, who God was healing, and then they would walk away, they would backslide, and I'm like, but God, I'm still here. I'm still here serving you, and you're not healing me. One of the things I had to learn through that journey was that God actually was with me. God actually walked through that journey with me. When I was in despair, I remember the first time I had to have major surgery for the Crohn's, and I've had three operations for the Crohn's. The, the, the major one that I had, I remember in the shower stall, just before the surgery, they said I could have a shower because it would be a couple of days until I could do it again. And I remember sitting on the floor of the shower crying, going, God, why am I having to do this? Like, I don't understand. I serve you. I, I do everything at church. I, I'm there early. I go to all the services at church. Like, I read my Bible. I spend time on worship. Why am I having to do this? And where are you in this? It was a hard journey. But he was there. I know he was there. Because I actually got through that. Was it pleasant? No. Did I enjoy it? Nah. Does it still upset me? Yeah. But God was with me, and I came out of that better, and actually in a better frame of mind, that whole situation. There were people in there who'd had the surgery before I had had it, and they were still in the hospital like 10, 15 days later. I walked out of the hospital five days later, like completely fine, because God was actually with me. And here's the thing you have to understand, that God of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God is actually with you. And when you know that, that changes everything. When you are lost and you don't know where to go, he will be your guide. When you are hurting and you feel alone, he will be your friend. When you're in the middle of a trial, our God is with you as comforter. When you are sick, our God is with you as healer. It may not look how you think it should, but he will bring healing to you. When you're weak, our God is your strength. Anytime you are lost in sin, our God is your savior. 
Because God is with you. The other thing you need to know is that God was with you. God was with you. In the past, and I'm telling you, if you look back over your lifetime, sometimes it's easier to see where God was than it is to see him in the moment. Like, I've been walking with God for just over 30 years now, and I know, looking back, I can see where he was with me. In the moment, I might not have seen it, but I can see it now. See, there's this great story about, in the Old Testament about Joseph. Now, this is not the Joseph that was with Mary and Jesus. This is Joseph, who was uh, one of the sons of Jacob. And so it starts off, and Joseph has these older brothers. He has quite a few older brothers, and um, he's, he's probably about 17 at the start of our story with him. And his older brothers are, are men. They're like, you know, the, the oldest one they reckon was about 30, and his brothers all ranged in age. And so he comes along, and he's a little, let's just say, he's spoiled. We're going to be honest. Joseph was spoiled. He was entitled. Doesn't mean he was a bad person. Doesn't mean we don't like him. He's still quite likable, you know, but, but he was spoiled. And he was entitled. And so that made him a little cocky, right? We all know someone like that, right? No? Am I the only one who knows people like that? Oh, okay. I should introduce you to some people. Um, so here he is. Here's Joseph, and he's a little ent- entitled. And he comes along, and he says to his brothers, I had this dream, and basically... I was awesome, I was cool, and I was the boss, and you guys were all the plebs. Now, you can imagine how well this went down with his brothers, right? So there was this relationship that was quite strained. And so Joseph, one day, has to go, his father says to him, go, take some stuff to your brothers. So Joseph goes, and they see him coming, his brothers, and they do that whole thing of, oh, gosh, it's that kid. He's just, he, it's like I've got one nerve left and he's stepping on it. He's like, so they're, they're really annoyed and frustrated with him. And before the kid can even open his mouth, um, they decide that, first of all, they decide they're going to kill him. And so one of the older brothers is like, whoa, whoa, we can't kill the kid. Let's not do that. So we're just going to stick him in a pit. So he had planned to come back and free, free Joseph and let him go. Unfortunately, some of the other brothers had a much better plan and they were going to sell him into slavery. So that's what they did. So here's Joseph gets sold into slavery. I kind of think to myself, it would have been a bit shocking for him to suddenly realize his brothers didn't hate him that much, right? That his brothers, who were supposed to be in relationship with, actually hated him enough to sell him. So he goes off, and he's being sold, and he ends up uh, a slave in part of his house, and and turns out, apparently, Joseph's quite a good-looking kid, and Potiphar's wife kind of gets eyes for him, and then she's trying to seduce him, and, um, and he, stays, he stays, you know, full of integrity, which, to be honest, he could have used the whole thing as an advantage and, and, and got himself probably into a cushy lifestyle, but he doesn't. He holds to his integrity and who he is, and he rejects her. And in the process of rejecting her, you know, a woman scorned is a dangerous thing, so she um, punishes him by telling her husband that... He tried to rape her. I find this interesting that he just sends, him, sends the kid to jail because in those days he would have killed him. I kind of think maybe Potiphar didn't believe her, but thought, oh, I've got to save face here. So, so he sends Joseph off to prison. So Joseph now is languishing in prison, right? So he's just there doing, doing, doing time, whatever it was that they did in those days. And so he's in this prison, and while he's there, some other stuff happens, and eventually, for some unknown reason, uh, some guys have these dreams, he prophes- and he gives the interpretation of their dreams. You're going to die. You're going to live. When you live, please remember me. And anyway, what happens comes to pass. And 
Pharaoh then has some dreams and no one can interpret them. And then all of a sudden the guy goes, oh, wait, I remember. There's a guy in the prison. He can probably help. So next thing you know, Joseph gets pulled out of the prison. I'm assuming they bathed him before they brought him before Pharaoh. And so they bring him up. And then he has this word where he talks. And he said, you know, Pharaoh shares the dream. Joseph says, this is what it is. And so the whole thing comes out. And what's interesting is if Joseph took each moment of his life and went, I'm now being sold into slavery, where is God? Then he get, becomes a slave in part of his house and he gets falsely accused. And he's like, great, now I'm being falsely accused, where is God? Then he ends up in the prison. He's like, where is God? And then he actually you know, gives an interpretation that actually elevates this guy. And he's like, where is God? And then he gets to this final point where for some bizarre reason, he ends up in front of Pharaoh. And he's now made in charge of the whole of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And you know what he says? Where is God? He goes, I actually realized where God was the whole entire time. You can say that he, God took him on a journey from the pit into the palace. When you don't think God is working, when you look back in hindsight, you can see that God was doing stuff in the background that you knew absolutely nothing about. Because our God is with you, and he was with you. You have to look at your life over the time over history of your life to realize that God is actually working behind the scenes. He is working behind the scenes. And what's interesting is in Genesis 29, uh, 39, 21, tells us exactly where God was with Joseph. And it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That's where he was. And if you look back on the course of your life, you will see that God was with you. It may not have been the circumstances that you thought. He may not have brought you out of the prison or out of the the pain that you're in. He may not have taken you through the circumstances the way that you thought he was, but he was there all the time. Because Romans 8 tells us that all things work together for good for those who love God and call according to his purpose. But if you don't believe that, you're not going to see that. The third thing is that God will be with you. No matter what you're going through, God will be with you. No matter what you've done in those circumstances, no matter if you behaved poorly, God will be with you. I think about Mary, little teenage girl Mary. When the angel came to her and said, the Lord will be with you, imagine if she could have seen the future. Imagine if she could have seen it. Here's what she would have, here's what she would have said. And, and I think God doesn't show us the future in detail on purpose because most of us would freak, right? She would have said, God will be with me when I conceive this child by his Holy Spirit. And God will be with me when I tell Joseph. And, and God will be with me when Joseph meets an angel and the angel says, no, no, this is Okay. And this is going to happen. And God will be with me when I'm traveling on a donkey's back for 200 kilometers to Bethlehem. And God will be with me when there's no room in the inn and I have to go and stay in a cave. And God will be with me when I give birth to the Son of God and we have to lay him in a food trough, in a manger. And God will be with me when we're on the run trying to save his life. And we have to escape. And God will be with me when we realize that when he was 12 and we couldn't find him anywhere and he was in the temple... And he was teaching. 
and asking questions, saying he's about the Father's business. And God will be with me when I'm at a wedding feast and there's not enough wine, so he performs his first miracle. And God will be with me as I watch other miracles take place in his life that he does for other people. And God will be with me when they falsely accuse my son and persecute him. And God will be with me when I watch my son suffer on a cross, brutally abused by the sinners for whose sin he is actually gladly dying for. God will be with me as I watch him suffer. And God was with me when when he looks to heaven and says it is finished. And God will be with me when he says, when my son says, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And God will be with me when the earth goes dark. And God will be with me when I wait as they put his body into a tomb and roll across the stone. And God will be with me on that first night as I wait and I wonder. And God will be with me on the second night as I wait and I wonder. And God will be with me on the third night when the stone's rolled away and the tomb is empty and he's not there because he has risen, because he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the God who is with you, he's the God who was with you, and he's the God who will be with you no matter what you go through. Maddie, can you come? Romans 8, Paul puts it this way. He says, he asks this question, and it says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Shall hardship? No. How about persecutions? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. I'm not actually quite sure why nakedness is in this text, but uh, just in case you feel like you need to be naked, that's not going to separate you from God. It will separate you from everybody else, but God will be okay with it. How about danger? No. Sword? No. None of these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height, nor death, nor nothing, and all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You need to understand this. There is nothing not what you've done, not what somebody's done to you, nothing in this world will separate you from the love of God. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. You will never be alone. Your fears can't separate you, not your doubts, not your insecurities, not your theological questions, not the things that you can't explain, not your brokenness and not your failures. Not your mistakes, not sickness, not divorce, not what somebody did to you, not your broken dreams, not when you give up and walk away. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because He is and He was and He always will be with you. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. This is the God that is with you always. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you walk with God. You're not going to fear evil because God is with us. There's no question about it. It is settled and it is written. He is Emmanuel, God with you. There's no doubt that He's with you. The only question that you need to answer is are you with God? That's it. That's the only question you need to answer. And you need to give an honest answer because God is with you. He is Emmanuel. 
And more than anything else, He wants to reveal His love and His character and His nature and His goodness to you. More than anything else, He wants you to be with Him, loving Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Because He is not a God that is far off. He is not uninvolved. He is not distant. He is a relational God who has come to earth to reveal Himself and forgive you of your sin. You need to know Him. You need to serve Him. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will do a work in you, that you'll be transformed by this good news. Just as He transformed and changed this world, He's going to transform and change your world. Because we need to understand and know that He is Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to pray. I want us to stand to our feet. I'm going to pray. Because as I said, Christmas is a magnifier. And for some of us, it might be magnifying some painful things, some disturbing things. But I want you to leave today and through this season knowing there's God with you. So let's pray. Holy, holy, holy God. We thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, God, that there is nothing that we have ever done, nothing that we will ever do, Father, nothing that was done to us, God, that will ever separate us from your love. God, no matter what hardship we are facing, no matter if the doctor has said the words cancer, if the doctor has said other diseases or sicknesses, those are not going to separate us from the love of God. I thank you, God, that if we have relational issues going on, Father, tensions in other relationships, God, that you are there beside us to walk us and to walk us through reconciliation with those people. I thank you, God, that while this Christmas season might magnify painful things, it's also going to magnify that God is with us, that we're going to leave with an understanding and a belief and a knowing that surpasses everything else, that God is with us. I thank you, God, that for each person, that as they go about this Christmas season, Lord, that daily they will know that, God, that you are with them, that, Lord, that they'll be able to look back over their lives and they'll begin to see Holy Spirit speak to them and show them where they were carried by you. Father, that they will go forward into the future, no matter what comes their way, God, that you are with them, God, that you have not left them and you will not leave them, that you have not forsaken them and you will not forsake them. We thank you, God. Lord, that we will carry you into our workplace. We will carry you into our home. We will carry you into our school. And God, that as we go about, there will be such a joy about our life because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And that everything that we've gone through and everything we are going through, Father, that you will work together for your good to bring you glory. We thank you. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's give God some praise this morning. So we'd love for you guys to stick around and have some um, tea and coffee with us. Make connections with people. Make sure you come next week with your picnic. We've got bounty castles. We've got face painting. We've got balloon twisty things. I never know what they're called. Um, But come along. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really enjoyable. But make sure you um, say hello to somebody today before you leave. Amen? Amen. Yo.